Jonah 3. And we're going we're gonna to really just, uh, as, I, as I looked at this chapter, and, and there, there's a lot here, and, and, and I could not find myself getting past verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, it's really a good thing that God is not like your pastor. Because if, if Jonah was mine and he had done what he had done, there probably would not have been a second time. He probably might, if he was me, probably would not have made it out of the ocean. He certainly would not have made it out of the whale. But even in the midst of all that, I'll go get somebody else, Jonah. You, you, you go on off into the sunset, I'll go get somebody else. But not our God. Not the God of this Bible. Not the one true God. And I'm grateful. I, I'm grateful. We're going we're gonna to look at, at, at this chapter this week and, and next week because I, I want to talk about one word. And really it's a characteristic of our Lord that would cause. It's really a characteristic that we see Throughout the Bible, it's the number one way that God is described in the Bible. And it's the, it's the characteristic, it's this characteristic that we're going to talk about today that would cause God to bring the word to, the Lord, to Jonah a second time. It's this characteristic that would, that would cause God to say, Jonah, let's do this again. Let's give this another try. Let's, let's, go, let's go to the Ninevites. And the word is grace. The word also could be described as loving kindness. The word, as we'll see, will be described as covenant loyalty. All of those things are, are, are caught up in this one word, that I believe is the characteristic that of the God we serve that would cause him to come to, to Jonah and give him the word a second time. To not just throw him aside, to not just be done with him, but that would come to him and give him the word a second time. And the reality is we see, we see this characteristic in Jonah, but we also see it in our lives. We see it in every single one of our lives. I guarantee you, every single one of us can look back on times in our lives where the word of the Lord came to us a second time. And even a third time. And maybe a fourth time. That God didn't give up on us. And what I want to talk about today really is our response. What is going to be our response to the grace, to the loving kindness, to the covenant loyalty of this God that we serve? What's going to be our response? Because we can respond properly, and unfortunately we can find ourselves responding improperly. And, and next week we're going we're gonna to talk about that dreaded E-word evangelism next week, and, and every evangelism I want us to see is an overflow. It's the overflow, it's the response, it's the expression of understanding what God has done for us. But first, I want to I help us to see the graciousness that we have in our God so that we can understand that what God is calling us to do in evangelism is to be an overflow of a response to God's grace. 
as we understand God's love for us, as we understand that we were far off, as we understand our position, as we understand that we're recipients of grace, God says, now you go do likewise. And and what we see here in in Jonah, all of chapter 3, is grace. It's grace. It's undeserved favor towards Jonah. It's undeserved favor towards the Ninevites. Don't forget, this is the same people that did all the atrocities that a few weeks ago we talked about. And here God is, not only giving Jonah a second chance, but he's going after Nineveh. Continued. Undeserved favor to Jonah, to the Ninevites, and to the rest of the world. That's grace. And and, and this is an amazing statement. The word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. Saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and proclaim to it the proclamation which I am going to tell you. And, and were it not for grace, again, were it not for grace, it's possible that we, we can look at people in our own lives and say, were it not for grace, I probably would have ditched them a long time ago. And there's probably people in here that are saying, were it not for grace, I would have been given up a long time ago. Were it not for grace, some of you might have given up on me. You keep hoping every week, he's going to get better, he's going to get better. I mean, who knows? Who knows? This next week's going to be the week. But grace, grace. And the reality is, is that God's grace changes everything. And we realize, when we realize that, our response to that grace becomes paramount. How are we going to respond to God's grace? We tend to be a people, if we're honest, we run very quickly to the doing and neglect the being. G- give me ten things to do and I'll go out and do them. Give me ten more things to do. That's the problem with doing. You're always going to need ten more things to do. Whereas God is interested in the being. When He's got your being, the doing will take care of itself. And that's the thing we see here in grace. God is interested in transforming who we are. Not primarily what we do. The what we do will be an overflow of who we are. When we understand who God is and how He's loved us and the grace that He's shown on us... It's no, it's no chore to do what he says to do because it's a response. It's an overflow to his grace. It's not trying to earn his grace. It's not trying to merit his favor. It's not trying to pay him back. It's not trying to hold him hostage to do something for you. It is simply a response to grace. A response. How we respond to the grace of God has a huge impact, not only on us, but it has a huge impact on everyone around us. Will we respond to the grace of God properly? That's the question. And, And remember, Jonah represents Israel, but even bigger than that, he represents you and I. Will God's children, those saved from the penalty of their sins, who have received the Lord Jesus Christ, will they respond to grace properly? Will we respond to grace properly? That That's the message. God is showing Israel here, did you respond to the grace, my grace properly? The answer is no. But what about us? Do we respond to God's grace properly? I mean, the Bible is full of these pictures. The, the ladies are studying uh, the patriarchs. You're going to see it. Abraham, Jacob, Moses, Peter, Jonah, Sodom and Gomorrah, all these throughout the Bible. Do you respond to grace properly? Do you respond to grace properly? 
And, and how they responded to grace had a huge impact, not only on their life, but everyone else's around them. Huge impact. And, and it's going to be the same for us as well. How do we respond to the grace of God? And here's, here's, here's where the rubber meets the road, why people want and try so badly to, to disprove this Bible. The reason why they don't, they don't care about these other things is they don't, they don't demand a response. God's grace always demands a response. That's why this Bible is hated. That's why it's picked at. That's why it's prodded. That's why people try to refute it, disprove it. Why? Because it demands a response. You can't just come to it, read it, and say that was good, and check it off and move on. It demands a response. These other, these other things that we run to and these other books that we cling to and, and philosophies, the reason why we love them because they don't demand anything of us. The God of this Bible demands something of us. He demands a response. He made it very clear, you're either for me or you're against me. There's only two camps. You're either for me or against me. He demands a response. And, and I want us to look at today our response. How are we going to respond? How will we respond to God's grace? And, and God's grace and our response to it will always, always come back to obedience. It'll always come back to obedience. You can't get past it. You cannot skip any lessons. You cannot collect your $200 and pass go as in my life. You can't do it. He's not going to allow you to skip any lessons. God in His grace brings Jonah right back to the very same point where he said no to God. And in all of our lives here today, we can probably look back and see times where we turned our back, we said no to God, and guess what? God brought us right back to the very point where Jonah said no, and the same for us. You don't skip the lessons. You don't skip the grades. Jonah, he comes right back to Jonah and says, Okay, Jonah, go to the Ninevites. Uh, really? All this and I still got to go back? Go to the Ninevites. But, but that's grace, guys. That's grace. God has taken Jonah right back to the crux of the whole thing. You're not going to get past it. It's still an issue. Go to Nineveh. And, and Jonah, he's taking Jonah right back to the point where he had an improper response to the grace of God. He takes him right back there and he says, go to Nineveh. You, you look at chapter 3, verse 1, flip over to 1, verse 2. Chapter 1, verse 2. It's essentially the same command. Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. Chapter 3, verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and proclaim to it the proclamation which I am going to tell you. God is, God is doing the same thing in Jonah's life that he's going to do in ours. And the reality is, is that we've all been right where Jonah is. The word, of Lord has, the word of Lord has definitely come to us a second time. God in His grace has come back to us. And probably a third, a fourth, and a fifth. Whether it was salvation, whether it was an act of obedience that you refused, whether it was something going on at work, whether it was something in your personal life, whether it was something relationally, God continues to bring you right back to the issue. That's grace. That's grace. And, and even in the midst of our refusal, even in the midst of our stubbornness, God continues 
to heap more and more grace. Even in his discipline, Hebrews 12 said, even in his disciplining of us. And Hebrews 12 says he disciplines those whom he loves, but he does it with grace. He's not punitive. He doesn't overreact. He doesn't do all the things that I do with my children and my friends and my family. He does it with grace. And that's the kind of God that we serve. He is full of grace. Full of grace. Now, now, as soon as I say that, I, I, I do not want you to get the wrong picture here and think that we can just live how we want to live. That, that's the challenge when you hear that. In, in, in Romans 6, Paul dealt with that. Hey, if God's grace abounds where sin abounds, then let's just sin all the more to show off God's grace. Paul said, by no means. What is he saying? That's an improper response to the grace of God. Even in the midst of him coming to Nineveh, you see the balance. You see the, the goodness, the graciousness, but also the, also the severity of God. Because what's the proclamation? In 40 days, you will be overthrown. You don't have to be, but judgment's coming. Even in God's proclamation of judgment on Nineveh and the rest of the world, guess what? It's balanced with grace. Whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Romans 6.23, you see the balance. For the wages of sin is death. That's one response. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. That's the other alternative. It's grace. The reality is sin demands death. You can pay that death yourself or you can receive Jesus Christ's death on the cross as payment for your sin. That's the balance. It's interesting in, in Romans 10, this verse just came to me, but I, I'll look for it real quick. If I can't find it real quick, we're going to move on and I won't do this again. Uh, it's, uh, let's see here. Anyway, look it up later. It says, behold the kindness and the severity of God. That was Paul's response. Behold the kindness and the severity of God. There's a balance there. He, he has to judge sin, but yet he says, I've judged it on my son. Will you receive that by faith? That's grace. In the midst of him coming to Nineveh, he's saying, Nineveh, you're going to be overturned, but here's the solution. Here's the alternative. Turn to me. Repent. Repent. Judgment is coming. God is a gracious judge, and he has told us the end is coming. What you're going to get for your sin is, is death, but you don't have to. You don't have to. That's grace. He has, to, he has to punish sin, but he's saying, in my grace, I punished my son so that you don't have to pay the punishment for your sin. Will you receive that by faith? That's the offer. Same offer that he offers Nineveh. That's grace. He's full of grace. And what would, what would cause a God to be so good, so gracious, not only to Nineveh, because as we saw a few weeks ago, they were, they were heinous. The stuff they had done was hideous. But, but not only gracious to them, gracious to Jonah. He runs from the very responsibility he had. He runs. Puts other people's life in danger. Puts his own life in danger. All because he doesn't want to obey. But, but, but also to us, we do the same thing. And God responds with grace. I, I, want, us to look, I want us to look for today 
at, at the depiction of this God. I want us to see the characteristic of this God that would cause him to respond, not only to Jonah and Nineveh this way, but also to us. Look with me at Lamentations 3. It should come up on the board. Lamentations 3, 22 and 23. We have this, um, we have this verse um, on a picture right where we eat breakfast and, 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 and dinner. I, because I want to be reminded of it, but I want Bradley and Sarah to be reminded of it. Look at this. The Lord's loving kindnesses indeed never cease. For His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. That, that is, a, that is a, a succinct picture of the greatness of the mercy and the grace. A powerful verse for us. They are new every morning. Great, great is your faithfulness. He's not just kind of great, faithful. We serve a God that's whose faithfulness is great. And we see this in Jonah's life and we see this in our own lives. The, the word there is, is, the word used there for loving kindness is that's the word I want to look at because that is the number one way. If you go back to the Old Testament, that is the most popular, the number one way that God is described in the, in the Old Testament. It is the characteristic that would bring him to bring the word of the Lord to Jonah a second time. And it's the same characteristic that would bring the word of the Lord to you and I a second time. The, the word there is chesed. You've got to be careful when you say that, otherwise you sound like you're sick or something. You've got to get that kind of thing in your throat a little bit. It's H-E-S-E-D, but the H sounds like C-H. And I'm not going to do it again because I'm nervous already up here without making these sounds. It's a wonderfully rich word. It is a wonderful rich word. The, the reality is, is that it is so rich in its, in its original language that no one word can contain it. You, you need a multitude of words to try to get the full picture of what chesed really means. And, and here, here are some of the, here are the, here are some of the, the words, it, it most often is translated as loving kindness. When you're reading through the Psalms, when you're reading through Lamentations, when you're reading through, and you see the word loving kindness, it's the word chesed. That's the word. It, it means loving kindness. It's also translated mercy. It's translated goodness. It's translated as steadfast love. It describes God's character. It literally, that word is used to describe God's character towards his people. What it teaches us is that God loves His people with an unfailing and a steadfast love. He is unfailing. It's how the writer of Hebrews in Hebrews 13, 5 and 6 quotes and says, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. It's this characteristic of God that would cause Him to say that. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you, believer. Even in our wavering, even in our sin, even in the midst of our running, God remains true. He remains faithful. His loving kindnesses never cease. He would come to us a second time with the word. And I want to look at some of the passages in the Old Testament that describe this God so we will get a full picture of how God is portrayed. And hopefully that we will respond. Here's my heart. That we will respond to His grace properly. That the very characteristics, here's the point, the very characteristics that God has shown us in Himself is the very characteristics that He wants us to show others. That which we have received, He says, you go and do likewise. And that's where Jonah's missing it, and that's where sometimes we miss it. Look, look with me at Psalm 119, verse 159. 
Consider how I love your precepts. Revive me, O Lord, according to your loving kindnesses. See that? The psalmist is appealing to the character of God. He's saying, revive me, O Lord, according to who you are, according to your loving kindnesses. Look at Psalm 59, 17. O my strength, I will sing praises to you. For God is my stronghold, the God who shows me loving kindness. Look at Micah 7, 18 and 19. Who is God like you? who pardons iniquity and passes over the rebellious acts of the remnant of his possession. He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in unchanging love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. Yes, you will cast out all their sins into the depths of the sea. That's the God we serve. Look at Jeremiah 9, 24. But let him who boasts, boasts of this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who exercising loving kindness who exercises loving kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth. For I delight in these things, declares the Lord. In the midst of our suffering, in the midst of our adversity, in the midst of persecution, in the midst of everything that we face, God is committed to His relationship with us, believer. You can bank on it. No matter what you're facing, it in no way, shape, or form means that God has wavered in His commitment to you, that He's wavered in His loving kindnesses toward you, that He's wavered in His character toward you. He, he is a God who intervenes on behalf of His beloved. He intervenes on behalf of His children. And the point I want to pick, the point I hope those pictured is that Scripture depicts a God who abounds with loving kindness. He's not just kind of. He's not just that way on certain days. He abounds with loving kindness. The, the point of Scripture is it's not a burden for God to display loving kindness to His people. It's no burden. He overflows with it. Look, look at some other verses to help us picture this. In, in, look at Psalm 103. We've got a few verses here, starting in verse 4. Who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with loving kindness and compassion. God in His loving kindness has redeemed those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ. We've been redeemed from the pit. Look at verse 8. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. It's interesting, in, in Peter, they, they question that and he says, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day. And he says, hey, don't think God is turning His back. His, his, the, the goal of His patience is to lead you to repentance. Why is God patient? To lead us to repentance. Look, look at verse 11 of Psalm 103. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is His loving kindness toward those who fear Him. Look at verse 17 of that psalm. But the loving kindness of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear Him and His righteousness to children's children. You want to pass something on to your children? Pass on the greatness of the Lord's loving kindness. Pass on a fear of the Lord so that they can be recipients of that loving kindness. And the point is our Lord's loving kindness toward those who fear Him is beyond measure. It's beyond measure. It's further than we can see. It, it, lists, it lifts us. It, it's what lifted us up out of the miserable pit of sin that we found ourselves in, unworthy as we were, and yet He sent His Son to die. To pay the very penalty that we deserved. It was His loving kindness that motivated that. We, we deserve wrath for our sin and yet God gives us grace and mercy. That's loving kindness. That's His loving kindness. 
And, and what we see here in Jonah and in our own lives is there is no shortage of loving kindness with God. There's no shortage. God overflows in mercy and love and kindness towards His people. I think if we were honest, all of our lives are displays of that. The fact that we are who we are, we are, we, we are where we are, God's mercy, His loving kindness... His covenant loyalty, the fact that He never walked out on us, never gave up on us, never backed out on us. And, and look, at, look at some more passages in the, in the Psalms and, and, and Jeremiah that, that help us get a good picture. Look at Psalm 32.10. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, listen to this, but he who trusts in the Lord, loving kindness shall surround him. The, the reality is there, you see on your handout, God's loving kindness surrounds us. That word literally means encamps us. You can't get away from it. What we get from God is, is loving kindness. Look at Psalm 90 verse 14. Oh, satisfy us in the morning with your loving kindness that we may sing for joy and be glad all of our days. God's loving kindness satisfies us. Why should we be satisfied in the midst of suffering? Why should we be steadfast in the midst of persecution? Why? Because we know, of a, who, we, know we have a God who has shows loving kindness toward us, who is not wavering in His commitment. Look at Psalm 136.1. Give thanks to the Lord for He is good, for His loving kindness is everlasting. God's loving kindness endures forever. It's everlasting. It endures forever. The reality is the, the, the phrase... Uh, uh, endures forever, incurs 26 times in Psalm 136 alone. That's the message that the psalmist is trying to get. That God's loving kindness endures forever. No matter what you're facing, no matter what you're going through, one thing you cannot question is God's loving kindness. He is always loving kindness and it always endures. The love of the, the, love of the Lord endures forever. Look at Jeremiah 31.3. The Lord appeared to him from afar, saying, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have drawn you with loving kindness. Look at Psalm 85, 7. Show us your loving kindness, O Lord, and grant us your salvation. God's loving kindness is what offers and woos and draws us even to receive salvation. It's God's loving kindness. Jesus said, no one comes to the Father but him who draws him. It's God's loving kindness that draws us. 2 Corinthians 4.4 4 says, In whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving. Ephesians 2.1 says, We were dead in our trespasses. What allows us to see the grace and the mercy and the truth of Jesus Christ? It's God's loving kindness. It's not our own wisdom. It's not our own faculties. It's God's loving kindness. He wakes us up from the, from the deadness from the blindness that our sin caused. And he, and he shows us the grace and the mercy and the truth of who Jesus Christ is. It's His loving kindness. Look, look at Deuteronomy 7, verses 9 and 12 real quick. Know therefore that the Lord your God, He is, he is God, the faithful God, who keeps His covenant and His loving kindness to a thousandth generation with those who love Him and keep his commandments. Look at verse 12. Then it shall come about because you listen to these judgments and keep and do them that the Lord your God will keep with you his covenant and his loving kindness which he swore to your forefathers. It's interesting that word loving kindness literally means it represents a covenant loyalty. That, that is how God is committed to you and I believer with a covenant 
loyalty. He, he is committed to be loyal no matter what because that's his character. And we just see this displayed all over the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy actually was a, a second uh, giving. It was, the same, it was a repetition of the same law given to a new generation. God is saying, I'm still committed. And this is still how you're going to worship me. It's the same law in Deuteronomy that, get, that Moses gave on Mount Sinai, which was previously revealed in Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers. And God comes back to a new generation and gives the law a second time. And when you read Deuteronomy, what is revealed is God's love for Israel. It's what motivated him to deal with them as he did, his love. It, it literally was, was pointing them to, to him, saying, love me. This is how I love you. Love one another. And this was all the way back in Deuteronomy. He's telling himself, I love you. You're my people. I've chosen you as my people. Respond properly. And unfortunately, we have a history in the, in the Old Testament of Israel that did not respond properly. And there were great consequences for that. And, and the point is, in Jonah and also in, in all the Bible, is that not only is God's loving kindness revealed, but a proper response to that loving kindness is revealed as well. A proper response. Look with me at Deuteronomy 5, verses 9 and 10. You shall not worship them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and on the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing loving kindness to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. The proper response to God's loving kindness towards us is that we have no other gods in our lives, and it's loyalty. God has been loyal to us, and you know what He demands in response to that loyalty? Loyalty from those He's loved. The proper response is loyalty in return. Again, it's not a, not a earning, not a meriting, it's not a this for that. It's a response. It's a response. Look at Deuteronomy 6, 4 and 5. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is one. The Lord, the, hear, hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord, with all, your Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. The proper response is that we love God with all our heart. That's faithfulness. Why? Because God has been faithful. He's been loyal to us. We respond with loyalty. He's been faithful to us. We respond with faithfulness. Deuteronomy 10, 12 through 22. I'm going to read this one in my Bible. It's a long one. Deuteronomy 10, 12 through 22. And I, I want us to see this, this response. Deuteronomy 10, verse 12. Now Israel, what does the Lord your God require from you? But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all His ways, and to love Him, and to serve the Lord with all your heart, and to keep with all your soul, and to keep the Lord's commandments and His statutes, which I am commanding you today for your good. Behold, the Lord your God belong to heaven, and the highest heavens, the earth, and all that it is in is in it. Yet on your fathers did the Lord set His affection to love them, and He chose their descendants after them, even you above all peoples, as it is this day. That's grace. So circumcise your heart and stiffen your neck no longer. For the Lord your God is the God of gods and the Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, the awesome God, who does not show partiality or take a bribe. He executes justice for the orphan and the widow and shows his love for the alien by giving him food and clothing. So show your love for the alien, for you were aliens in the land of Egypt. You shall fear the Lord your God. You shall serve Him and cling to Him and swear by His name. 
He is your praise and He is your God who has done these great and awesome things for which your eyes have seen. Your fathers went down to Egypt, 70 persons in all, and now the Lord your God has made you as numerous as the stars of the heaven. It's a response. Do you see the response? And before you think, well, that's an Old Testament thing, go to Matthew and he says, what are the greatest commandments? He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. It's the same thing. The same holiness that he demanded as a response in the Old Testament is the same holiness he demands in the New Testament. 1 Peter 1.15, you shall be holy for I am holy. It's a quote of Leviticus 11.44. God has not wavered, he's not changed. Not only in what he showers upon us, but what he demands of us in response. And what we see all over the scriptures, especially in Jonah, but all over, God's love for his people motivates him to bless them. Our love for God ought to motivate us to obey him. God's love for us is what causes him to bless us. Our love for God is what causes us to obey and follow and to glorify, 1 Corinthians 10, 31, whether you eat, drink, or whatever you do, do it to the glory of God. Why? Because of what God has done for us. It's a response. And God desires that we respond to Him in the same way in which He has responded to us, with loyalty and commitment and devotion and faithfulness. And, and, and our response is rooted and motivated in what God has done for us and towards us. Everything is rooted in what God did first. I'm not trying to buy his loyalty. I'm not trying to bribe him. I'm not trying to own I'm not trying to do anything, force his hand. I'm simply responding to what God has done. That's why it's not legalistic, it's not earning it, it's not meriting, it's a response, it's an overflow. And it's not only in our response to God, but it changes our response to others. Why does God command us to forgive others? It's just like David's saying, because we've been forgiven. Why do we show mercy to others? Because we've been shown mercy. Why do we stick beside one another when no one else does? It's because God has stuck beside us when nobody else did. Why do we love the hard to love? Because guess what? God's loving the hard to love every day when he loves Chris. Why does he say in Romans 12, 19, to love even those who persecute you? Because Romans 5 says that God loved me even when I was an enemy. When I persecuted him. And God is not demanding anything from us that he has first not done for us and in us. My job, my responsibility as a believer is to live out that which God has done in me. It's Philippians 2, 12. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Show the world what God has done in your life that they would taste and see that the Lord is good, that there'd be a fragrance of Christ all about us. It's a working it out. It's a response. And the reality is it all points back to the gospel. When you you love those who hate you and persecute you, you know what the world's going to ask? Why? Because that's exactly what Jesus Christ did for me at Calvary. Everything in our life is to point back to the gospel. It's not to make Chris look great, it's to make... Christ look great because he is great and our lives are to be lived out as a response to God's grace towards us in Jesus Christ and let me illustrate this about a proper response and an improper response suppose your spouse 
came to you and said, you know what? Suppose Karen came to me and said, you know what, Chris, no matter what, no matter what, I'm not going anywhere. No matter what you do, choose not to do, what, I'm not going anywhere. You've, I, wherever you go, I'm going to chase you down. I don't care what you do, I'm never leaving or forsaking you. There, there are two ways that I can respond to that. First way would be an improper response. I can go out and live like a fool and live foolishly and do whatever I want to do knowing that she's never going to leave me and I can take advantage of that and I can manipulate that. Or I can respond in kind because of the great love that's been shown to me. And I can seek to be a husband that, that shows off the great love that he's been shown by his wife. And when they say, Chris, why do you love Karen like that? Because that's the way she loves me. I'm not buying it. I'm not earning it. I'm simply responding to that which I've been loved. And there's an improper response and there's a proper response in how we respond to God's love. And unfortunately, many of us respond improperly or insufficiently to the love that God has shown. And the reality is, if you go back to Jonah, Jonah should have known about God's grace because he had seen it time and time and time again in the history of Israel. I mean, God had sent prophet after prophet after prophet after prophet to them. And what was their response? To forget? To be stiff-necked? To repent for a little while and then to go right back off to foreign gods? And, And yet... It's interesting because the people who should have responded wholeheartedly to God's grace didn't, and yet the Ninevites who shouldn't have did. It's interesting. Look at their, look at their response. Look at verse 5. Then the people of Nineveh believed in God, and they called a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. Look, look at verse 6. It gets even better. When the word reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, laid aside his robe from him, covered himself with sackcloth and ashes. Even the king, in seeing how great this God was, repented. And their belief, they believed in God. What do we need more than anything? To believe. And that belief changed everything. Look at verse 8. But both man and beast must be covered with sackcloth. He's not even going to let the animals get away. And let men call on God earnestly that each may turn from his wicked way and from the violence which is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and withdraw his burning anger so that we will not perish. When they saw the goodness and the mercy and the greatness of God, they immediately said, we can't live like that anymore. And they turned to God. They repented and turned from their wicked ways. That was an appropriate Response, an appropriate response. And, and it is interesting that the Gentiles responded in a way that Israel should have. And that's the point. How do you respond to the grace of God? God is giving Israel a warning here. He's revealing their heart. He's exposing them, but I think he's also exposing us. How do we respond to the grace of God? And, and here's the takeaway. If, if we boiled it all down, here, here's the takeaway for us, and you see it there on your handout. It's important to remember God's path fa- past faithfulness to help one appreciate His love. We, we get in a circumstance, we get in a trial, we get in a struggle, and guess what the first thing we are to do is to question God. 
instead of looking back at a history of faithfulness that God has shown. And we must remember God's past faithfulness and we're going to appreciate His love. And remembering the past would have reminded Israel that He took a nobody into Egypt. He cared for them in Egypt. He grew them to millions. He got them out of Egypt. He parted the Red Sea. He gave them Canaan time and time and time and time again. God had been faithful to them. In the midst of their unfaithfulness, God was loyal. You know, reading Scripture, attending church, fellowship, that's how we remind ourselves of God's faithfulness. Coming here, we remind ourselves. We look at each other's lives and we see God's faithfulness in other people's lives and we say, you know what, He'll do that in mine too. He'll be faithful in mine too. Because Satan wants us to isolate and Satan wants us to forget that we serve a faithful God. Secondly, God's commands are an expression of His love. Please do not forget that. God's commands are an expression of His love. He's not trying to keep us from something. He's keeping us for something. They are an expression of His love. Thirdly, only a love for God will adequately motivate a person to obedient to God's commands. Only a love for God will adequately motivate us to, to, to obey. You know, even, even in the midst of Jonah's obedience, you go to chapter 4, he was very resentful. He was very reluctant. And until we, until we fall in love with the Lord, God's commands are going to be burdensome. They're going to be heavy. You're going to question them. And over and over again, Moses urged, he urged the Israelites, said, said, cultivate a love for God. Cultivate a love for God. Over and over again. And, 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 and it was all through a relationship. And I, and I began thinking, how do we do that today? Well, think about this. Some of you in here today probably have a favorite author. Well, how did you begin to fall in love with that author? It started with one sentence. Of one chapter of one book, and you fell in love with that author. What, what about an artist? It started with one lyric, from one song, from one album. Guess what? All of a sudden, your iPad or pod or whatever the thing, it, full of it. It started with one. S same way with God. One prayer, one verse, one chapter, one book, one quiet time. That's how, that's how you start to fall in love. The same way you fell in love with your spouse. If you're married, guess what? It started with one look. It started with one conversation. It started with one date. And now you're married. It started with one. It started with something small. Same way you fall in love with the Lord. By spending time with Him. One, one verse. Maybe it's memorizing one verse. Reading one chapter, one book. Lastly, obedience to God demonstrates a love for Him. Over and over, Jesus said this, If you love me, you'll obey my commands. If you love me, you'll obey my commands. It is possible to obey God with lesser motive, and that's Jonah. But the only way we'll truly obey is with love. And when we get God's love for us out of whack, 
out of the correct framework and perspective, everything else falls apart when we get God's love for us out of whack. And just like Jonah, we forget that we were far off, that we were dead in our trespasses, and that is only by His loving kindness that we were brought back. Only by His loving kindness. And my heart for us is that we would be so gripped by the way that God loves us that we can't help but love one another. And that we can't help to go out and tell the world about it. That we wouldn't be reluctant like Jonah, but that we would be grateful because of the way that God has loved us. And the reality is is that Jonah is just riddled, riddled with the gospel. Everything about this is gospel centered. We too, we are Nineveh, we are deserving wrath, and God sends, sent somebody into our life to share the good news. The coming wrath, but also the, the way to avert that wrath being in Christ Jesus. We're, we, we were dead, and we've been made alive. And, and Jonah's message to the Ninevites is the same that we have today. The reality is that Jesus is the perfect Jonah. I mean, think about this. Jesus is the perfect of Jonah. Jonah went to a foreign land reluctantly. Jesus went to his enemies joyfully. It took Jonah two times to go. Jesus went on the first. You know, Jesus, again, he went joyfully to the cross. Jonah is going to go reluctantly to Nineveh. Jesus, just G, Jonah went to a foreign land. He had every reason to hate them. And, and they received him. Guess what? Jesus Christ went to his own. And the Bible says his own did not receive him. This is the gospel all, all throughout it. Jo, Jonah made a proclamation to a particular city. Jesus had made, has made a proclamation of salvation to the whole world. To the whole world. Jonah saw a city repent. Jesus says at the end, every, people from every tongue, every tribe, every nation are going to bow to Jesus. And the reality is that the gospel says if we will repent as the Ninevites did, then, G, then God's wrath will be averted. The same response of Nineveh can be in our life and wrath will be averted. Who knows, God may turn and relent and withdraw His burning anger so that we will not perish. The reality is this, He absolutely will if you're in Christ Jesus. He absolutely will relent from the anger that He has toward your sin if you're in Christ Jesus. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. That, that where judgment and death are deserved, grace and mercy can be found. That's the gospel. If we will repent and turn from our sinfulness. That's the gospel. And, and I pray that everyone here today has done that. 